on June 17th, around 9 p.m. After spending over an hour with the worshipers who were gathered at the historic Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, to pray and study the Bible, a 21-year-old man opened fire, killing nine innocent people in cold blood. The details have emerged over the course of the past few days, and it's become clear that the shooting was racially motivated. It was an act of pure evil, an evil perpetrated and motivated by someone who was filled with hate. It's tempting to write this off as an isolated incident of one hate-filled person and move on to business as usual. But I want to let you know we won't be doing that today. We can't. We have to look deeper. You might be a visitor joining us today for the first time. You came with your family because it was Father's Day. Or perhaps you've been invited by your friends for a long time and you chose this Sunday to come with. I want you to know we are glad that you're here. And I've prayed all this week that God would speak to you and that God would meet you wherever you are spiritually. We need you to know that we consider our Sunday services a time in which our church family knows they could invite anybody where they're at spiritually, regardless of where they're at. And that this is a space where they could hear about Jesus and what he came to do. And although today will be a bit unusual in a sense that there won't be a sermon, I pray that you would hear about Jesus and what he came to do. I want to specifically tell you that are visiting or have been coming and you don't consider yourself a Christian. Why? New community spends mornings like this talking about what happened in Charleston. There will be a time in a minute when I'm going to speak to those of us that are part of our church family, and I'll speak directly to you. But first, I want to talk to you that might be visiting or here with your family and friends for the first time. We talk a lot about the gospel here at New Community, a lot about the gospel because we love Jesus. We love Jesus. And we say around here that the gospel is about reconciliation. And reconciliation literally means to put things back together, to right wrong relationships. The gospel tells us that this is what God has been about, and this is what God will be about until he returns again. God is not out to save people from hell so that they can go to heaven. 
to narrow down the gospel to an individual person being saved from hell so they can go to heaven is to tragically misunderstand what Jesus came to do and to misunderstand the purposes of God in the world. The Bible says that God is out to put everything back together, and that includes you and God, but it also includes us to each other. It also includes the utter mess and brokenness in the world that we see. It's amazing to me, whether you're a Christian or not, how we underestimate the effect of the fall when sin entered this world and the devastating effect that it had. So what God has been about and what the gospel tells us is that God has been about fixing all that, restoring all that. Jesus himself said that he came to usher in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God literally is the rule and reign of God. Where we exist in right relationship with God, right relationship with each other. And the world is finally functioning the way God intended. Where it's characterized by values of peace, justice, and love. And here's the mind-boggling thing that the Bible tells us. And the mind-boggling thing, and I don't know if we recognize every time we say the mission statement of our church, each Sunday morning we recognize what it is that we are saying. What the Bible tells us is that God intended that the church, that this, that you and me be the tangible, visible expression that the kingdom of God indeed has come. That we are the tangible and visible proof that God has a plan for this world that's broken and to heal it, it's to restore it, it's to put things back together for his glory and for our good. And that when we declare the mission statement, we seek to be a city within a city, we're essentially declaring that as the people of God, we don't just possess the message, we are the message of the gospel. We are the message of the gospel. This is the place where the world ought to see what so Paul powerfully declares in Ephesians 2 when he says what Christ came to do is to tear down dividing walls between hated people groups. That the church serves as a sign that this is what Christ has come to do. It's here that people ought to look and say, there is a possibility that God might restore and heal all things. Because there's a place where you see a glimpse of that amongst a group of people who are living it. Because there's a place where people, like in the city of Chicago, where physically people live apart racially, are actually doing life together beyond Sundays. Can you think of a more critical time than now when the church needs to be the church? 
Can you and I think of a time more critical than now in a city like Chicago, in the country that we live in, where this hour, right now, the vast majority of churches in America will worship with people that look just like them? People ought to see in the church this reality that in Christ a new humanity has been formed. A new humanity, Galatians 3, Paul says, that is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. They don't find their identity as the world would have you prop it up, but they find their identity in Christ. Can you find a place like that? And Paul says, yes, it ought to be the church. See, here's what the Bible says about how this new humanity lives and does life. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. You see, in this kingdom community, we care about what happens to other members of the body because when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. See, I'm well aware of the fact that every time I get up here and do this, that I pastor and serve a church where we are all over the map when it comes to issue of racial justice and racial reconciliation. There are many of you who are just beginning this journey. There are many of you, frankly, who could care less. And you're wondering why we're doing this on a Sunday morning. And I want to tell you that one simple answer is that because of Charleston and because of what continues to happen all over this country, my very own African-American brothers and sisters are hurting. They're in pain. They're mourning. And the least that I can do, and the least that we can do is to mourn with them, is to suffer with them, is to hurt with them, is to listen. Isn't this what's central to Christianity? Isn't at the heart of Christianity God putting aside his privilege to enter into suffering and pain of those, frankly, who are not deserving like us? Doesn't the incarnation doesn't the truth of God becoming man remind all of us that central to Christianity is a Savior who dares to enter into the hurts and pain and suffering of others? So much of human suffering is caused by our inadvertent or willful obliviousness to the life experiences of people different from ourselves. And I recognize that constant effort is required to develop and sustain empathy across difference. See, what happened in Charleston and what happens too often in this country will not impact you if you don't know the very people who are hurting and suffering. How do we begin to feel compassion when we are oblivious to their struggles and to their suffering? How do we mourn with them when we've never been with them? And how do you love and begin to love them 
if you and I have no idea what their needs are, what their hopes are, what their dreams are. See, my biggest fear, my dear church family, is that so many of us will simply settle for just being a part of sitting and being in a diverse multicultural setting, settle for mere acquaintances and superficial relationships and never go beyond it. My fear is that we will think that by being a part of a multi-ethnic church that we will actually be a part of healing what is destroying this country. It's only as you and I do the hard and uncomfortable work of forming deep, authentic, Christ-centered relationships can any of these racial rifts be healed. And we'll tell you that goes beyond just sitting Sunday after Sunday in a diverse church. Can you genuinely look around you right now and say, my life has been profoundly changed as a result of my relationships with people that are unlike me? Can you point to somebody in this church family and say, I'm doing life with you? Do you realize that's what we are saying when we say we seek to be a city within a city? See, when you care about the people, because you actually know them, You'll care about the situations that they're in. And when you listen to our African-American brothers and sisters, here's what you will begin to realize. You'll realize that what happened in Charleston is not about an isolated incident. You realize that Charleston is not about an isolated individual incident of a lone Mentally ill racist. You'll realize that he's the product of a racist and unjust system that's been terrorizing black and brown communities in this country for centuries. It's been happening for centuries because of racist and unjust systems and institutions that have been woven into the very fabric of this country from its founding. As horrible as September 11th was, as evil as September 11th was, he'll realize that terrorism against this country didn't start on September 11th.
our black and brown communities have been terrorized for centuries through murders and lynchings. And the message they've heard from our society is that black and brown lives don't matter. Church, we must, we must speak into our culture and declare that black lives matter. That our African-American brothers and sisters have value, dignity, and that their lives matter. And we must do everything that we can to ensure that the larger society values our brothers and our sisters. And we must make sure that institutions within our society not mistreat them in any way because of their race. You see, if things are to change, really change, we can't just deal with isolated individuals who spout racist ideology. That's like putting Band-Aid on cancer. If things are to really change, we have to look at the larger systems and institutions that perpetrate racism. And to anyone here who says it's a sin issue, it's a heart issue, I absolutely agree. But we are being naive if we don't think that the structures in place around him, parents, family networks, schools he attended, government institutions in Charleston, South Carolina, culture of violence, media, and peer networks, that those structures allowed a sinful disposition of racism to grow and cultivate in his heart to the point that he became determined to kill, in his words, black people who were in prayer. It's hate, it's evil, and there is real evil and sin in this world. But we have to realize that this evil started somewhere, it was cultivated somewhere, and it's supported by people somewhere. We have to deal with the fact that the structures often stand directly opposed to the very values of the kingdom that you and I uphold, values of justice and peace and equality, compassion and mercy and love for our fellow human being. And any solution, any real solution to deal with racial injustice in this country will require not just that we deal with sinful hearts because we must, but we need to deal with structures and systems that those sinful hearts create. Today, though, is not about solutions. There is a time for that. Today is about listening and it's about mourning. 
And I have asked one of our brothers in the church to come up and just share what he is experiencing this week. Then shortly thereafter, I've asked Pastor Michael to lead us church family in the time of mourning, in the time of lament. And we do want to end the service with communion, declaring our trust that God is still sovereign, that God is still on his throne. I was blown away that the very night that the shootings took place, a group of the church members saying, we shall overcome, even in the midst of the horror that they experience. And I followed their spirit And we need to declare today that Jesus still reigns, that Satan will not have the last word, that hate will not have the last word. And you and I will not stop fighting against hate, sin, and racism, and violence, and we will fight with love, hope, prayer, and truth. And while we fight, we look symbolically to the east as Gimli, Legolas, and Aragorn looked for the first light on the third day in hopes of seeing Gandalf riding down the slopes of Rohan to their rescue at Helm's Deep. Because we have one who is greater than Gandalf, a true hero who will come and rescue us and who will ultimately remove all evil, all sin, all death, all hate, and all destruction. And we look to him. John, come on up. Um, Good morning, new community. My name is John Pelzer. I've been coming here since November. And um, I'm from Alabama, a very small town in southern Alabama. That kind of just tells you a lot right there. Um, But, um, yeah, I'm from a real... Just just to, like, give you a little background about my town. Um, It's about 2,000 people. And it's all black, all white. Um, We have, like, a few non-black or white people there. But um, my dad's a pastor. And he's pastor of a black church. Um, and even the fact that we have to use those words um, disgusts me. Um, he's been pastor there for 26 years. And um, he was part of a group of pastors who were talking after a conference. They wanted to stay together and just talk and everything. And he was meeting with these other pastors who were white. And one of the white pastors said, until John can date or marry your daughter... And you, your family, and all of our churches not have a problem with it, we've got a long way to go. Those pastors never met again after that meeting. Um, my sister was the black homecoming queen um, in 1999, um, and there was a white homecoming queen. Um, and there was a school in my town that was started uh, when integration happened um, because they didn't want to go to school with um, black people. Um, 
and they still wear white cap and gowns to graduation. Um, they changed their name from Rebels to Gators, but, um, but that's where I'm from, and that's where my dad is from, where my mom is from, where my both sets of grandparents are from. So there are a long, there's a long history of a lot of racism that my grandparents and great-grandparents have dealt with, just had a family in, and we were just talking about where our families come from. But one of the things that's so hard about Charleston is the fact that, you know, it, it's not even so much of just speaking into the, speaking to the world. You know, you expect the world to be sinful. You expect the world to not get it, you know. But then when, when people in the church don't get it, it hurts, you know. Um, when I've got friends who go, went to churches in my same town that they were taught that interracial marriage was sinful, like, this is taught from a pulpit. Like, in, in 2000s, in 21st century, we're, we're learning this. Like, my friends are learning these things, you know. She's now engaged to a black man, and her family has had to deal with it, per se, for them. But that's in the church. Like, this is the body of Christ. Like, you are walking into a church that's opening a Bible. You know, you're learning this. And, you know, like, people say, oh, Black Lives Matter, and, and that's a great movement. I understand that. But it's, when you think about a life, it's more than just, it's more than just a body, you know. It's more, yes, my black life matters, but I'm more than, than what you see, you know. Black people are more than what you see. And I think one of the things that's hurt me the most about Charleston is the fact that this was an AME church. And many people don't even, didn't know what AME was before this week. A lot of people had never even heard of AME. A lot of people still don't know why AME exists. You know, it exists because they couldn't worship in the white Methodist church, you know. And so black lives don't matter in the grand scheme of our country, as Pastor Peter was saying. But black life doesn't matter in the church enough to understand the theology and the history of black people in the church. Like, we talk about secret churches overseas. There were secret slave churches. There were churches on plantations where they had to worship in private because slave masters were afraid of them knowing the truth. Those parts of the Bible that talk about hope and liberation, they had to go worship in secret, you know? They had to sing and dance and wait in private because they couldn't worship freely with the master around. You know, th that's part of the American church history. But we don't value that. You know? I tell people all the time, like, I have Muslim family who think I'm crazy for being, think me and my family are crazy for being Christian because it's like, that was used to oppress us and, that, and that's true. And that's a reality that we need to accept. Like, Christianity, the Bible, was, was attempted to use to oppress, but God saw fit to still be glorified. You know, God saw fit for slaves to get that if he did it for Israel, he can do it for us. If he did, like, that's the type of theology 
that is interwoven into black life. So when we say black lives matter, we're talking about people who understand the hope that's found in God. Like they have historic, we have historically understood this. We have historically, some kind of way, by the grace of God, that's the only way to explain it, but we've been able to get that in the morning when I rise on this plantation, give me Jesus, you know? When I come to die, when I'm alone, give me Jesus. That wasn't written by Fernando Ortega. That was written by slaves, you know? So we... That's what hurts the most, is that we have this church, Emmanuel Amen, and I don't ever wear stuff like this church, but this is to stand with them today and say, Emmanuel Amen, this traditional AME church, I feel your pain with you as a black person. Yes. But how can we get to the point of saying, I'm not black, but I feel your pain? I just want to, I don't know what else you want to ask, but um, as I was just praying and asking the Lord, Lord, what would you, like, have me to say from your word about this? And I, he just, like, talked to me about Esther and how she had to speak up on behalf of an ethnic group of people Mm -hmm. because she had the position to say something. Mm -hmm. She had the position to do something. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want to. But Mordecai was like, Mordecai says in Esther 4, verse 13, he says, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For those of you that don't know the story, they were trying to kill all the Jews, and Esther was queen, and she was a Jew, and she needed to say something, but she was scared because she could have died. But then Mordecai was like, well, if you don't say something, deliverance is going to come from somewhere else. Don't think that you're going to escape because you're in the palace. And what, like, I just want to say to everybody is, if we're really the body of Christ, if we're really united, don't for a second think that this affects black people or the black community or black churches. Don't think for a second that because you aren't a part of this ethnicity, that this doesn't affect you. Right. Like, we are part of the body of Christ. So whether you walk into that reality or not, that it affects you, it does. Like, even, I've even had conversations with black people this way, and it's so heartbreaking, but, like, older black people who, they don't even feel anymore. They're like, I just become jaded. I was talking to an older black guy, and he was like, I just become jaded. And I'm it's not really sad over it. And I'm like, Lord, please love, never let me get to that point in my life where I'm just okay with my fellow black people dying. No, I'm okay with this happening. I'm separating myself. I'm going to be in the palace of sorts. But it affects us because we're all interconnected by the Spirit of God. So you can choose to walk in this lie that it doesn't affect you, or you can choose to step into the very, very, very hard reality that their life matters to me, and if it's affected, their theology, their history, it affects me, and I'm a part of that. And once you choose to walk into that, it's so hard. It's so hard. Because you don't, you're not just overwhelmed by the racism in the world. I was telling someone, what's been hardest this week is like, 
you look at the world and, you, and you're like, man, it's a mess. But when stuff like this happens, I don't want to see white people. I don't want to talk to white people. I don't want white people to tell me, ask me how I'm doing. Like, what are your thoughts on this? No, don't talk to me. Don't, do, like, and I have sinful thoughts that I have to fight. Like, thoughts that are not true. Thoughts that, oh, all white people are, all white people are, all, and it's like, no, that's the enemy. That's right. And so you're not just overwhelmed by the sinfulness in the world, but then you're overwhelmed by the sinfulness in your own heart, you know? But the Holy Spirit is so, I was on Pastor Peter, don't think this is like a deviation from the sermon series. This is an enactment of us following the Spirit's lead because the Holy Spirit is so, so good because this week when I'm just like, I'm tired of having these conversations and I'm tired of explaining why this is hard. I'm tired of explaining why, oh, JP, I think you're putting your ethnicity above your Christian life. No, Christian life isn't a number one and then other thing. Christian life affects everything else in my life. That's right. So my blackness is now elevated as sacred. My manhood is a, as elevated as sacred. Like, it's not Christianity, blackness, manhood, like my age. No, Christianity permeates. The blood of Christ permeates every part of my life. So my blackness is sacred. I'm going to be black forever. Like in heaven, Mm -hmm. when John sees the vision, Mm -hmm. he sees colors. He doesn't see social constructs. He doesn't see the sinfulness of that, but he sees color. That's right. So how do we walk in the aspect of this is color, but we don't have to live into the sinful social constructs. That's right. Y'all, I just, just... Like I say, I just, oh, I was saying that the Holy Spirit is real because in times like this when I feel so, so much sin in my own heart Mm -hmm. from my life experience, from my parents' life experience and my grandparents, like this is real for me. Mm -hmm. Like the help, that Mm -hmm. movie, Mm -hmm. that's my grandmother's life. Mm -hmm. Like that's the job she had. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's not some fictional thing. Mm -hmm. That's real. Mm -hmm. But when I feel this, the Holy Spirit has been so faithful to bring white men that have texted me and been like, I'm sure, one guy said, I'm sure you, you don't want to hear from another white person about this, but I just want to let you know that I'm praying for you, brother. You know, a white sister this morning from Alabama, she grew up in a racist church, but she, she's grown up and we grew up together and we were great, good friends and she texted me this morning and was just like, you know, I'm just praying that I can feel the hurt more, you know? Like, God has used people who don't look like me to hold me up this week. Jesus. And it's just like, man, like, ooh, the Holy Spirit, like, oh, you make me sick sometimes, because, like, (laughs) these are the last people I want to talk to. I'm tired of having these Mm -hmm. conversations. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of, Mm -hmm. but if we are to be the body, then that's what we got to do. Yes. Um, I don't know what, yeah. Brother, you speak in truth. You're speaking truth. 